You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It's Monday the 11th of July. Tom Stanley in for Nick. As is the case for the next two weeks, you've got me for Nick is off for a a well-earned rest. And uh, this week we'll, in the main, be centering on tomorrow's announcement regarding the findings of the WIP review. Now, that's officially at 11am, I believe, tomorrow. We'll have Charlotte's on the ground for you there. Um, with some uh, interviews and reporting back with those those findings. So tomorrow will we'll be a slightly later podcast so we can uh, build in some of those interviews and reaction to the official findings of the WIP review. For all there's been plenty of speculation as to what is likely to come come out of that review. We will we'll be touching on, on that today. That is myself and broadcaster and journalist Lydia Hislop as regards to those expected findings and, and Lydia's views in the main. Uh, we are looking back, though, essentially, at an excellent weekend's racing, quality-wise. We, we knew that going into it. It was a, a brilliant weekend for Rob Hornby. We'll be hearing from him shortly. But Super Saturday, first of all, Lydia. Much debate over the, the last 24 hours, uh, really, on, on Sunday, with regard to the lack of a flat meeting in Britain on Sunday, as to why we had four meetings and 28 races, all good quality races, really, going off within four hours between one thirty and 5.30. Super Saturday, Lydia, would, would super be your adjective of choice? Uh, super in parts, so no, uh, not not particularly. I mean, it, five of the six race courses that raced on Saturday um, suffered a fall in attendances across the whole piece, 13.9% down compared to 2019 when crowds were last unrestricted. Drops of 26% at Ascot, 24.7% at Chester and 23.5% at Hamilton. Newmarket 126 York did relatively well with 39 but the winner is Salisbury's evening meeting, their ladies' evening, which is a really popular popular fixture for them that's sort of an increase in attendances of 22.5 percent so they had a had a super day but the clash of all of those meetings together on a Saturday particularly when Sunday the following day was by comparison quite so sparse and dominated by jumps racing in in Britain doesn't seem to make any sense to me and it doesn't really I think make any sense to the levy board either because this is it, it's open knowledge that uh, for the 2023 fixture list uh, the levy board have taken the view that four Saturday meetings is optimum for levy generation purposes and we had six but individually um, there were lots of there's lots of super things about it including alcohol freeze brilliant win in the July Cup. Yeah, we're, um, we'll come to that. We'll hear from Rob Hornby shortly. Um, we'll also come to the, the 2023 uh, fixture list or a potential change to that. But just on on Sunday racing, um, is it as simple, do you think, as for the, for the good of the sport, one of those meetings to move to a Sunday would be great and the sport would benefit? But can you see why a, a race course in particular wouldn't agree to that because their turnover on the gate and, and at the bars, et cetera, might fall? 
uh, yes, but they're, they're on a sticky wicket with that one at the moment, aren't they? Um, because at the moment, um, their, their attendances are down. When um, During COVID, when there was centralised control of the fixture list for, um, by the BHA, uh, only Ascot, Newcastle in the evening, Newmarket in the afternoon and Salisbury in the evening raced in Britain on, at that time. And it was um, generally welcomed by bookmakers who saw um, uh, an, a, a, a net improvement in terms of, of turnover with other race course other races and other race race um fixtures being placed elsewhere now um clearly this the major part of this clash uh, was created by Newmarket moving on to the Saturday. Um, this is John Smith's Cup Day. York have been there for a very long time, and clearly their attendances are holding up. It is a place. Uh, it is a, a a race meeting that is ringed in the calendar for them. Um, you know, Newmarket. The likelihood of Newmarket moving off the Saturday is small. Again, Ascot with the Summer Mile. You know, they're pretty well established on that day, but and um, you know, do do Sunday's work for them individually. Chester's the one, really, because Chester and York are pretty pretty close to each other. You know, Chester um, does does have a record of being able to, um, I think I'm right in saying, attract a good crowd on a Sunday, and so maybe they might consider moving. But certainly, having Perth and Stratford only yesterday, you know, no offence to either course, but we're in the middle of the flat season, um, and they're, they're both summer jumping, and it seems to me perverse slash ridiculous that we don't have uh, a, a good flat meeting there um, rather than clashing with all the brilliant flat meetings that we had on the Saturday and uh, if we if you're making the decision based on net betting turnover and therefore levy generation and what for the good of the sport of, of a whole rather than individual race courses it is quite simply a no-brainer. The 2023 fixture list then and, and, and what we're likely to see next year, there was a, an article on the, the post yesterday that um, Doncaster are um, hopeful or, or choosing to move their St. Ledger meeting as opposed to Wednesday to Saturday, Thursday to Sunday. The St. Ledger would still take place on the Saturday, but the meeting would culminate with a Sunday finish. How, how set in stone is that, Lydia? Well, they've basically announced it, haven't, haven't they? But the fixture list isn't finalised. They haven't applied to the patent committee to move their patent races. And they haven't yet spoken to ITV, whose coverage uh, they are seeking to, to, to gather in. Um, so there are a, a, a number of hurdles that need to be negotiated by Doncaster um, and ARC um, uh, before this can actually come to fruition. I think it's likely to come for it to fruition. This is how uh, people behave, how, how the racing industry behaves in, in Britain. You, 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 you announce something and it becomes a fait accompli. But the, each of those processes, you know, the fixture list, the patent committee, ITV, I think they're worth us talking about each of those points. Yeah, and... and um... Just thinking, I mean, it, it, it's something that could work for terrestrial television because it's something that um, potentially could, on that Sunday, could um, fit in with day two of Irish Champions Weekend, which it, which it often does, that meeting. Um, but yeah. as you say, it's interesting that they've chosen to announce it when there are, obviously there's a view that if we want to do it, we can do it, but it, it's, it's not quite as simple as that then. Well, to take a, a, a wider view of it, you know, they've, ha they've had an idea which they believe is going to work for Doncaster and they've got some very good reasons why. They think do, do, you think it, do you think it's a good idea? Uh, do I think it's a good idea? If the criteria are to be judged that uh, we're 
I think it's complex. I think there are some ups and some downs. If you're looking at it purely from Doncaster's point of view uh, and the local residents' point of view and their ability to go racing, moving from the Wednesday to the Sunday, I think would be a good thing because uh, more people have a day off on a Sunday than they do on a Wednesday, you know, self-evidently. And also Rachel Harwood, who's the executive director of Doncaster, says that uh, she wants to link it with celebration of Doncaster gaining city status, which it did during the Platinum Jubilee. 4,722 people attended on the Wednesday in 2021 as compared to more than 23,000 on the St Ledger Saturday but of course you know the Wednesday of um, Doncaster has the Scepter Stakes Group 3 for three odd and upward seven furlongs fillies um, and the listed Scarborough Stakes whereas the St Ledger has uh, St Ledger Saturday has the St Ledger as well as the Group 2 Park Stakes and the Group 2 Champagne Stakes so it's not necessarily straightforward that if you move it to the weekend you're going to get a um, a crowd comparable to the one that you get on the Saturday but I certainly think it would be an improvement so from from Doncaster's point of view and for the, the local racing fans point of view I think that that would be a positive from the participants point of view the way that um, ARC are going to be able to facilitate this is that they have got a meeting at Bath on the Sunday um, and there's, it's a well-established precedent within race course groups of moving fixtures around uh, within um, their own uh, portfolio. And this was something that um, uh, largely the OFT review of um, how the fixture list was managed sort of facilitated. And it means that there is no centralised control and uh, the industry can't say, well, it's best for the industry if that meeting's there, that meeting's there. Actually, it's the individual race courses who largely, although they have to go through the negotiation of the fixture list process, can to a, a great degree dictate what they do and certainly there is a precedent for enabling uh, Bath uh, to move to the Wednesday from the Sunday and Doncaster as Wednesday to occupy that Sunday slot. From the participants point of view it does mean that for southern based trainers there are no southern flat meetings anymore on that Sunday because it will be if, I, if the fixture list stands to some degree there it will be Musselburgh and Doncaster on that day so that's not necessarily a positive for participants. And then from an ITV perspective well um, Doncaster are looking to move on to a Sunday where ITV um, have, and for racing fans more widely, there's the Group 1 Vermeil, the Group 2 Prefoy, the Group 2 Preniel, the Group 1, they're all at Parry Longshon, then if you move to the Curra, there's the Group 1 Flying Five, the Group 1 Irish St Ledger Stakes, the Group 1 National Stakes, the Group 1 Moy Glare, and the Group 2 Blandford Stakes. Um, from a, a, a sports fan perspective, um, is it, it, can you really see the Group 3 set of stakes and the list of Scarborough stakes knocking one of those out? Now, um, if for, from Britain's strict perspective, turnover will go up if uh, a race meeting is televised by ITV or Terrestrial. And there is a link between increased turnover and uh, British races being on Terrestrial TV. And obviously, um, that is a positive thing for levy generation. But if you see it from the perspective of the racing fan, that not, who is, isn't necessarily local, who wants to watch the best action and wants it to be covered comprehensively, uh, is adding a third meeting of um, lesser races, good races that they are in their own right, I've given you the context of it, is that a good thing for the racing fan? I would argue it isn't. And, mm, interesting. It's, it's, um, and is it to, to Doncaster's detriment that, that some of their feature races then don't get the, the, the attention they would have got on the Wednesday? Is, is there any reason, Lydia, that the, the, the pattern committee would, would not approve a, a move? 
Well, you I mean you ha you have to go through that process, um, uh, and you know I, 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 I'm the chair of the, the the pattern committee, so I'm not going to prejudge it. But I would observe if you, you might be the right person to ask. Yeah, <laughs> I would observe that if you that it's it's a small movement, um, so you you wouldn't really be um, creating a, a huge uh, a clash that wasn't there before. Wednesday to Sunday is quite a small movement, and we're also talking Group Three listed level, which tends to be a um, domestic affair rather than an international affair but th there might be objections um well-argued objections uh, by the the pattern committee or by uh, the european pattern committee and i can't prejudge what my fellow committee members think or what my fellow members of the european pattern committee think well it was some weekend for jockey rob hornby who joins me now um your first british group one winner on the the friday with prosperous voyage in the Falmouth, rob and then 24 hours later, you were celebrating again with alcohol-free. I mean, I guess you can't have expected to to ride two Group 1 winners in two days. One would have been nice and two was just brilliant. Yeah, Tom, thanks. It was, um, it was crazy, really, how, um, you know, how, how so much happened in, in such a short space of time and to go on, you know, win the foul on, on Friday for, for Ray on Prosperous Voyage, who... You know, it's been such a such a great horse for everyone involved, and being second in, in the thousand guineas at the start of the year, just just you know, narrowly defeated, and and then a slight disappointment at Royal Ascot. It was so nice to see her be able to bounce back and um, you know show everybody that you know, the, the guineas was no fluke and, and the form was rock solid, and she's um, she got her, her group one that she she really deserved. Just looking back on Ascot, what do you think was at play there? Was it the the draw? Was it the, the the early pace? What do you think led to that that disappointment on the face of it? Now, given what happened subsequently, yeah, it's a it's a tough, it's just, it was a strange one really because she was she was in such good form coming into the race. She'd really come come well in her skin, and, and she, her work at home was really good. Um, so it's one that we were we were left scratching our heads a little bit, and I, I think. Um, I think with the with the the, um, the turning track at, at Ascot with the bend over a mile was um, was perhaps uh, was perhaps the reason. I, I you know she's a horse that just stay very well and, and stays the mile really strongly. You know as you can see at Newmarket, I think a straighter track where you can kind of keep keep the revs up the whole way through and um, keep your momentum building throughout is, is probably the key to her and um, as, you, as you saw um, you know, on, on Friday she's, um, she really attacks that rising ground well uh, and, and stays out the mile you know, really strongly. And then with you, know, you personally having, having won that group one on Friday, do you, do you feel that changed anything maybe belief wise or confidence wise with you going into Saturday or, or, or not necessarily? Was that just alcohol free back to her very best? Yeah, I mean, you know, possibly. It's it's hard really because you just um, you know, you take every day as it comes really and you know, to to be to be having two group one rides in two days was obviously very exciting for myself and um, you know, just really looking forward to getting on these horses. Um, yeah. Perhaps you ride them with a bit more confidence, but um, you know you're not changing anything, anything particularly, um, other than just just going out there and trying your best, really. Mm. How many Group One rides have you had? Um, I, I, I guess I'm, you know, I, I don't have figures in front of me, but 
Do you do you do you do you, do you know about how many you've had, Rob? Yeah, I'm actually. I'm sure I was. Um, had a real nice weekend back home with the family, and we were, we were discussing how many how many rides you've had in Group Ones. It's it's not a huge amount. Um, you know, I've been lucky to have a lot of opportunities in some some big races and Group Ones and classics. Um, but it's, it, it, it'll be no more than twenty, I don't think. Yeah, I mean that's, that's 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 a decent strike rate now in Group Ones, isn't it? That, so that is that's three in total. One obviously was scope last year, and now two this year. Yeah, it's um, it's improved quite quickly, which is <laughs> um, which you, you know you just you know obviously to, to, to be getting riding in Group Ones is is, is is so important, but then to actually go go and win for for two people that are so significant in my career at the moment is. Um, it's, it's just very, very special. And obviously, it wasn't lost having on on everyone the fact that you'd lost the ride on Westover. What was that like, by the way, watching Westover win the Irish Derby? Um, it was difficult. You know, I won't lie to you. It, it was very tough. I was at um, I was at Windsor that that afternoon, and you know, the more and more you looked into the race, it looked like he's um, you know, it's just going to be a, a nice day out for him. And I feel like you kept your counsel incredibly well and um, not that that's led to, to success because I know the world doesn't necessarily work like that, but I like to think there's something about that you you know you deserved more top level success coming your way given how you handled that and you got it, which was great. Do you, do you, do you have any idea, Rob, with, with regard to Westover, if, he, if his next run is in the UK, whether you would be back on him or, or, or is the, have those discussions not taken place? King George. For the King George. And then, no, there hasn't been a discussion. Um, you know, you, you, always, you have ideas in, in your head um, about what might happen, but um, as, as of, yeah, there hasn't been a, hasn't been a discussion. Fine. And, and alcohol free, um, if she goes back up to a, to a mile into the Sussex, that's hugely exciting. Yeah, I mean, just. You know, again, this opportunity arose at the start of the year that I, I, I'd be able to ride her this year um, with, with the circumstances that have, that have occurred. And, you know, I obviously rode her as a two-year-old um, you know, before, before Saturday. I was the only one to not win a race on her show. It was, uh, it, was, it, was about, it was about time I did, but it was uh, just so, so pleasing for, you know, I, I went down to a Andrew Boardings, King's Clear at 16 years old, and to to be able to go and ride ride the whole team at a, a Group One win effort for such a significant owner, and you know, an owner that's been associated to the yard for so many years was was just so so special and um, so rewarding, and and um, 
Uh, Rob, well done on a great weekend. Brilliant, Tom. Thank you very much. Right, good to hear from Rob Hornby, who was completing a, a fantastic Group 1 double, Lydia. I know you spoke to him after both races. Um, j- just first things first, Alcohol Free's performance was was excellent, back over six furlongs at Newmarket. And uh, again, they are likely to change it up tripwise. How exciting could a, a clash of Baid be? I think that's going to be uh, an absolutely fantastic race and there's a potential of Caribus there as well and others. I mean, you know, might even Tenebrism have a go, I don't know, after her win in the Jean Pra. But um, Alcohol Free was brilliant. I, I'll be honest, I thought she had very little chance in this. Mm. I thought that her Zero. Season... <laughs> yeah. Zero. <laughs> I thought her season was going west. I mean, it was a, a, a pretty poor performance in the Bet365 mile where she wore a hood for the first time. Um, and, you know, by all rights, she should have stamped all over that field and she finished third. Um, then fourth in the Lockinge, ninth on her first go back at six furlongs since she won the middle park as a two-year-old in the Platinum Jubilee. Um, but then she came through at the July course and I thought with a, um, a quicker track than Ascot, slicker conditions that were sort of speed favouring, you know, prominent position favouring and it being such fast ground. I mean, so much of her previous form has come with a top class form like the Sussex Stakes win of last year has come with a, a little bit or a lot in the case of Coronation Stakes cut in the ground. I thought, no, this, this isn't going to work. So, you know, hats off to particularly Jeff Smith. Um, Annalisa Balding was uh, representing Andrew Balding at Newmarket and she was uh, keen to uh, point out that it was Jeff Smith who hatched this campaign and clearly, obviously, it's the Balding team and Rob Hornby who delivered it. Don't, don't you just love how she's been campaigned? I, I remember people saying they're mad going for a Jubmont and maybe they were, but that I think that adds so much intrigue to her and to the sport when you get these horses trying different trips and now they've come back to six, now they're going to, 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 to the Sussex to, to tackle the Marlon Baid. It makes it so more inter- so much more interesting. I definitely agree. And, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really understand criticism of uh, connections trying something new because I think that is, like you, I think that's really exciting. And um, Clint Jessmith had Chief Singer who went on from beating Never So Bold in the 84 July Cup to winning the Sussex Stakes, beating Roussillon in quite a rough race, quite a controversial race, you know, emulating what Thatch had done previously in 73. He'd also liked Chief Singer won the St. James's Palace Stakes before that Group 1 double. And now we have um, Alcohol Free, a four-year-old filly, also owned by, by Jeff Smith, who's now won, uh, this horse has won Group 1s at two, at three, and at four, at distances range, ranging from six furlongs to the mile. Um, and why not? It, it, I mean, I, I love the fact they went to the international stakes over, over, over 10 furlongs. I thought that was great. It was something that they tried with Chief Singer as well, by the way, and it didn't work out. But, you know, I think it's been fabulous and it's great to see her coming back and proving her versatility ground-wise. And, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a very good ride as well. Um, you know, obviously aware of um, those um, track conditions that I was talking about and how they might pan out against her. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for for connections not being afraid of getting beaten, and that's something that is definitely embodied by Jeff Smith. Um, Rob Hornby, Philly, of course. I mean, yeah, it, it, of course, that, that does help to some degree. And I, I wish that wasn't relevant, but sadly, 
you know, there's, there is much more um, inclination to be protectionist about a, um, a future stallion than a future broodmare. Uh, Rob Hornby um, saying what I think Rafe Beckett had intimated to you on, on, on Friday at Newmarket, that no decision had been made with regards to who would ride Westover in, in the King George. Do you, you not feel that back on British sh- shores, it would be pretty harsh on Rob Hornby were he not to be back on board? Particularly when he's riding as he is. I mean, I think he's made sure that it's a much more difficult decision than perhaps it might have been heading towards the Irish Derby. Rafe Beckett was saying that uh, when they know that the horse is definitely going for the race, then they'll start. You know, that is the plan. But when it's when when, when we're close to the time and it becomes actually something very concrete, that is the time when that kind of um, conversation will be had. But of course, he was speaking after his and Rob Hornby's win with Prosperous Voyage in the Group One Farmer Stakes, and before Rob Hornby followed up 24 hours later in the July Cup. I mean, Rob Hornby is clearly riding at the top of his game. I mean, his eye is totally in at the moment. This is a rider who is completely flourishing and it is when you get these opportunities on these top class horses and then deliver that you start moving your career onto the next level and that is what Rob Hornby has done. And you mentioned tenebrism, seven furlongs, well she seemed to absolutely relish that. Do you think a Sussex will suit if she goes there? Well it's a quick, it's a, it's a, it's a sharper mile so you know quite, quite possibly. It'd be interesting to see what, um, what Aidan O'Brien uh, plans to do with her. Um, she's got that entry. She's also got an entry in the Sprint Cup um, and the Irish Champion Stakes and the Matrons. So that's a, that's a, a, a wide range from six furlongs to, to ten furlongs. It'll be interesting to see what Aidan O'Brien does. She was uh, comprehensively on top in the Jean Pra, um, the group one over seven furlongs, which I think has only been seven furlongs since 2019, I think it used to be a mile. It's been various things prior to that, but um, she clearly seemed to enjoy the, the, the drop back to two seven furlongs after finishing fourth behind a spiral in the Coronation Street Stakes and prior to that eighth in the 1000 Guineas on her seasonal debut. Behind her, it was a bunch of five horses, including Light Infantry, who was rallying late in second, and Lucille, who has again run very, very um, consistent consistently uh, following his uh, narrow second in the St James's Palace Stakes but she was well on top at the finish she really did assert her authority on that race and it was good to see her back. Yeah and the start of a, a, a treble at uh, Deauville for jockey Ryan Moore. Well it's a busy weekend on the, the racing front it was a busy weekend for the, the man that joins me now that is former jockey Jacob Pritchard Webb who I'm sure you've seen in the news for completing his uh, his challenge, 140 mile hand cycle from Cheltenham Racecourse to the July course in Newmarket. Jacob, how are you feeling? Are you in pain? Um, I'm good, Tom. How are you? Um, yeah, no, the last half an hour or so, um, I suppose the body's just realised that it hasn't done a day of cycling, and um, the back pain has become become quite bad. Yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling quite sore. It must be said. Uh, sore but I'm sure um uh, pretty pretty proud of 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 what you've achieved and and what you know everyone who's been behind you has achieved together yeah massively proud um I couldn't thank the the support guys enough for joining me um still slightly overwhelmed about what's happened still it definitely has not set in yet um I think about um what, what the last three days have, have been about and well the last three months has been just trying to organize it all you know from start to finish um there's a lot of people involved in that and uh, a lot of people who 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 put, put time aside to make it happen 
and um, it's it, it it turned out better than than I could have hoped. What was the the one thing, Jacob, that obviously throughout the cycle, but in all the training as well, that that really spurred you on? I mean, I know it's a it's a it's a huge personal challenge, and and you've been through a lot over the last two and a half years, but. What what was the thought in your head that really kept you motivated in in all the training and everything that went into this? Um, just just I suppose the fact that I told myself I could do it. Um, you know, um, a year ago it was like, well, we'll set this challenge out, and it was like, right, yeah, I'll do that. So it's like, right, you will do that. So. Um, you know, throughout the training, it was like, right, and I felt like I didn't leave a stone unturned mm. uh, during training. I tried to hit every gym session. And then when I was out doing it, obviously the motivation from everyone was was needed, that's for sure. But when it was like, right, hill ahead, keep, keep pumping, I would turn, you know, I remember at one stage, kind of, as the hills were slightly decreasing, I turned around and was like, no, I can do this. And it was just that, you know, you can you can do it. Having that, um, not trying to be too cocky or anything, just having that self-belief that you've put the man hours in. Mm. Everyone here believes in you. You know, everyone here is pushing you and, you know, you will do it. Did you have, Was there any doubt at any point that, but perhaps in the training or during it, that you thought, hang on a second, <laughs> maybe I've taken on too much here? Uh, the training, definitely. Yeah, I, I was, there was, there was quite a few... Um, moments during it where um, I remember the very first cycle when I only did five miles and I did my first hill and I had to stop on that and I was just just because of the I wasn't acclimatized to the motion of the bike and and and, and it was just different fitness again um, so if I was thinking oh god you know this 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 really is bonkers um, everyone is correct about me um, <laughs> So yeah, there was plenty of moments in training during during the cycle itself. Though, um, no, I think everybody there motivating me was was uh, was just brilliant, and they kept kept my spirits up for um, uh, that and a few alcoholic drinks at the end of the day to numb any pain helped. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Um, you've raised thousands for for a couple of charities that have helped you with your your rehab. If people still want to donate to you, how how can they do that, Jacob? Yeah, the, the donation page, which is the sponsoring page, is going to stay open for the rest of July, I think. Um, it won't be closed for a while. Uh, on the Twitter handle, if you go to mine, which is JacobWeb9622, the link is in the bio. Um, otherwise, uh, sponsor me Jacobweb forward slash the Cross County Cycles Challenge, which is all hyphenated. Um, I think as we're talking right now, we have gone over fourteen thousand, including gift aid. So, and I've got, and I, I'm still getting donations, like in cash. So, I've got five hundred pounds in cash to donate. So, um, yeah, the target's twenty thousand. It'd be amazing. It'd be the icing on the cake to hit, to hit it. But the the awareness of the two charities um, is, is is just as important. The two charities being the Injured Jockeys Fund, um, who we all know, and the Matt Hampson Foundation. We support young people injured through sports uh, that end up with a spinal cord injury. Mm. Um, and I, I say two and a half years. I mean, it's it's not even that, is it? It's it's just over two years since since the accident, isn't it? June twenty twenty. Yeah, June the twenty third. Yeah. So not even not even. Uh, I think it was two weeks after the two year anniversary on Thursday that I started. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you that. Uh, 
the first hill that was the, the, the most difficult hill when I got to it um I was I was a lot more emotional than I thought I was going to be and then um yeah um when I arrived at uh, Newmarket I'm sure there'll be some pictures coming out um of a few teary eyes so uh couldn't talk for a couple of minutes so it's um I didn't expect to be in this situation or in this position two years after the accident well you've done remarkably well raised a lot of money and and you know let's let's help you get up to that uh, 20,000 target Jacob top stuff thanks ever so much Cheers, Tom. Thank you. Right. On Wednesday, we had a, a new chair of women in racing appointed. That is Lucy Gurney. And she's with me now to talk about racing home. Lucy, tell us more. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tom. Um, so racing home's been uh, going for since 2019. At the end of 2019, we hosted a symposium for about 65 of racing stakeholders, just exploring the sort of silence we, we thought um, around motherhood and parenting in racing. Um, and from that, we realised that we need to put some evidence behind um, what we were finding. So uh, we conducted with Oxford Brooks and Simply Racing um, a research project which resulted in a 60-page uh, report which came out in... I think it was November 2020, um, and that made about 21 recommendations as to what we needed to um, change or what people were struggling with. And, um, and, and part of that was um, the information that was available, so policies and guidance for employers and employees across the sport. So that is the website you mentioned, mm. which is racinghome.org.uk. And, and is this... This is centred around um, parenting, uh, be it be it new parents or 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 mums um, or dads that have are going to undergo that life change of, of having a child and how that's going to affect their work life balance. Yeah, and we found um, that parents were telling us that they were reluctantly feeling that they had to leave the industry. Um, which is obviously a huge issue for the sport, but because they felt that they couldn't necessarily juggle both um, parenting and working and they weren't finding their workplace or their lifestyle kind of flexible enough to accommodate um, being a parent. That was that was one of the issues that was identified. Also, just there wasn't that much information out there. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it kind of it culminated in all of the work that we launched at Kempton last Wednesday as part of the Racing Home programme, which is funded by um, the Racing Foundation, uh, Kindred, um, which Unibet is a part of, and the Alvarado Trust as well. And is, is uh, obviously you're the, the chair of Women in Racing, This on the website I've seen, um, you know, it's it's for fathers as well um but i guess the the main push here the main reference is is towards women in the sport is that fair yeah i think that's fair probably if you look at the uh, report which is on that website you'll find that the majority of people that were interviewed throughout that research uh, process were women but there were men um that took part in that as well and were really really helpful kind of inputting and feeding back to us but on that, um, among the kind of guidance, policies, etc., um, male employers will find that useful, for example. But also there's information about paternity mm. 
rights as well as maternity. Um, and hopefully they would also find, well, whoever would find the podcast that we have um, put together really useful as well, which is called the Racing Home Podcast. Um, and that talks about lots of things, really. Some, some really sensitive and personal issues come up um, in that, such as miscarriage. Um, and we've had some amazing guests on there sharing their kind of stories um, of parenthood and, and working in the industry and, and beyond as well. Lucy, why do you think um, racing as a sport or as an industry, when it comes to um, looking after its workforce who are going into into parenthood, what why might it be just a just a little bit behind? Do you think? I don't know. I, I guess racing is unique in its sort of. We will say it's it's a relentless industry, don't we? It's three hundred and sixty five days a year, especially if you're kind of looking after horses in yeah. that yard environment. Um, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily behind, but we're trying to take a sport leading approach to this. Um, but it's something that's being looked at across different industries as well. I know that um, I was reading an article the other day about PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, for example, who are um, trying to be a really attractive employer in a really crowded employment market. Um, and they're looking at these issues as well to try and make themselves a really good place to work. And I guess racing needs to be doing the same things to be attracting mm. um, the right people. You must be um, thrilled to be um, the, the new chair for, for women in racing. What, what are you, what are you hoping for in the in the coming months, in the coming years for for women in racing? What are you hoping to achieve? So um, it's a real privilege to take over um, a really strong woman in racing from Tallulah Lewis, who was the um, previous chair. Um, I think we've got loads to be excited about, um, not just the Racing Home project, but our bursary programme, our mentoring programme, um, our whole sort of schedule of events throughout the year, um, which we're really proud of. But our membership did take a little bit of a hit during COVID because um, there weren't any events for people to attend. Um, so we're just hoping to kind of get that momentum back, ensure that we're a really friendly, um, kind of personable network um, and just get as many people involved as possible, really. Lucy, great stuff. Thanks ever so much. Good luck with, good luck with everything. Thanks, Tom. Lydia, it's going to be an, an interesting day tomorrow, 11 o'clock, where the findings... Uh, for the WIP review are officially published. There's been lots of speculation about what is likely to to be in that in those findings. Um, what's what's your what's your expectation of the reaction that um, this is likely to get? Do you think? Um, <laughs> well, horse racing never goes through change without a lot of heat and light, does it? So I imagine the reaction will be. Um, initially sort of muted with various well-chosen people speaking out in support and then that position gradually eroded during the course of the week. <laughs> <laughs> during, during, the, during, the course of, during the course of the day? <laughs> well, probably during the course of the day, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was being generous there. I think, that, I think they might hold until the end of the day. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> satirical comments aside, um, this is going to be, you know, important. Um, you know, do, the, do, you think, do you think this, it, this is a... This is a seismic change. Uh, again, we're speculating, but if if we see, if we are talking this time tomorrow about um, disqualifications being in place for overuse of the whip, do you do you feel we've gone too far? 
Well, um, I would like, I mean, I, I don't want to prejudge it because I want to hear the steering group's reasonings, reasoning and, you know, they, they will have had one. This has been a long and careful process with people from inside and outside the industry, you know, experts in, in, in various fields. So I want to hear how they present that before I, I comment on it. But I mean, the leak that, was, um, that led to the Daily Mail article last week suggested that there would be disqualification, but only for egregious breaks of the rules. So if you hit the horse 12 times over jumps, where the limit is eight, or 11 times on the flat where the limit is seven, um, and, and also longer bands of up to a month for the jockeys involved, um, you know, they will have statistics about how often that has happened, how, how many, um, in 2021, for example, how many such winners or other horses would have been um, disqualified as a result of that of that change. Obviously, Noble Yates, the Grand National winner, would have been one, and their argument would be that if there was that deterrent, that, that, that something like Noble Yates wouldn't happen. I think they have to tackle um, the attitude that seems to evade um, and of course, you know, jockeys are um, employees here and they're delivering for trainers and owners. So, you know, this is just, this is not just a, a, a jockey issue. It's a, it's for everybody involved. We can't have a situation where um, when the race is important enough and uh, that's difficult, of course, because what, what usually we, we're talking about group races here, group one races or grade one races, that, that jockeys are, seem to be uh, happier to break rules that they would keep within on other days because the wider implications of that success are larger. Of course, um, for some stables, uh, winning a, a class 510 furlong handicap might be very, very important. And, uh, you know, that's the difficulty that the regulator has in terms of uh, trying to have a, a deterrent that works in all, for all sizes and all shapes of form. But I mean, it's, we, we are expecting changes going. I mean, this, this process began on the premise of change because the Horse Welfare Board published a life well lived, their welfare strategy, and it stipulated that the BHA must look into the whip and as a minimum, um, p uh, penalties um, should be um, increased. So, you know, right from the start, you had an expectation that the status quo was, was just not possible. Uh, the thing is, you know, 11 years ago, there were changes made to the whip rules and it didn't have enough impact. What has to happen here is that everybody gets behind it and people keep to the rules because if racing keeps undermining itself in this way, then the next generation of jockeys, trainers and owners might be facing a, a landscape whereby they don't have the whip. Um, and... I worry that, you know, seeding ground all the time without having a strategy is um, ultimately self-destructive. But I, I'm sure that the steering group have, addre have addressed that point as well. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a test for Ian McMahon, who's the new uh, chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association here in Britain. Someone we haven't really heard from, to be honest, since he's taken over the role. It's been notably quiet. This is going to be a big test for him, making sure that all of his members are pulling in the same direction. Lydia, you can send us home with a winner, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to find a winner at the moment. I'm not, <laughs> I have to say. Successful um, three days at Newmarket. <laughs> 
radio there. No. Um, <laughs> I quite fancy Belle of Annandale, um, who runs later on today. So Belle of Annandale uh, ran into a horse that reopposes Flying Moon, who's on a bit of a roll, but has a £5 penalty to wield here. Um, I think the way that um, the race should set up should suit um, Belle of Annandale. Hopefully she's going to be able to um, control uh, the race uh, from the fronts and it sort of um, not be hassled on the lead you had to go a little bit uh, quicker when narrowly beaten by flying moon last time so i'm hopeful that she can win the 335 at air today monday lydia thanks very much indeed thanks to everyone at home for listening the plan for tomorrow as i say is for a later podcast to react to the findings uh, from the whip review announcements and i'll speak to you then bye-bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.